When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we discuss abuse storytelling, communication, and clarity. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and today our episode is going to be about storytelling and abuse storytelling, how to tell your story more effectively, communication, clarity, everything when it comes to storytelling, not just for the show's purposes, but for the purposes of communication with friends, family, and support, you know, lawyers, therapists, anyone who can be a support to you. Uh, this episode is for you if you are having trouble telling your story and figuring out where to really even begin. But before we begin, if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. And there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. So as I said before, this episode is about storytelling and it is not just for the show, but it is for your overall purposes, how you can communicate it better to others, for them to hear you, to understand you, to connect with you. Connecting is a big thing when it comes to abuse and hopefully this can help with professionals, friends and support. And before we get into the nitty gritty of things, I just first want to stress the most important thing, which is clarity and connection. And that is easier said than done. And what I'm saying right now, it's really a lot easier said than done. And a few things before we begin about the ins and outs of the story, some things that get in your way or in some people's ways. And the first thing I have on my list is trauma-related in some instances, and it has to do with memories. And some people will start a sentence at a certain point, have a memory, then go to that memory and tell that story. But while that's happening, they might get another memory, and then they go down that memory path. And this could happen again and again before they eventually go back to finishing the original point 
or story that they were telling. And whereas this might make sense to you, the person telling this story, as someone listening to your story, they might have a very difficult time making sense of what has been said, or they just might tune out. And there's no shame in this if, if this is happening with you and this is how you're storytelling. You might not even notice that you're actually doing this. But try to be conscious of this, you know, getting to point A to point B to point C efficiently. So, you know, writing out your story or getting your story out onto paper somehow and practicing will help, you know, how do I get to point A to point B to point C? And we're talking about trauma in a lot of cases here that happens, which might be a cause of this. And, you know, this is something that you probably have to deal with when if you're able to get therapy or or figure out how to you know not jump from these memory points because that's also a very difficult thing is as I said it's this is easier said than done and then another thing when it comes to storytelling and the stories that I hear you know try not to have too many people in your story you know we're not doing visual storytelling like a tv show or or a movie here or a documentary you can't put a face to a name so it's harder for a listener to remember you know when they're listening to a story who all these people are so you know if you then mention hey remember jim or jane you know from earlier in the story while i'm bringing them back again that might and you might do that with several different types of people it becomes much more difficult to figure out what is going on. So keeping it simpler with less people is is better. You know, if you can still tell your story and get your points across without all these extra people, then my advice would be to do it in that way. Simpler here is better. And then when it comes to connecting, connecting with people, slower is better than faster. You know, when you do anything that is too fast and think of your own experience, walking fast, etc., it's hard for you to kind of connect with what is going on inside of you. So if you talk really fast, it will make it more difficult for others to like really fully grasp the emotion of what's going on in your story and connect with you on a personal level. You know, you want people to listen to you and to care about you. And the faster you go, the less they have a chance to connect to who you are really. And you might be saying some interesting and fun things about yourself, but if you're going really fast, the people might not hear it or be able to connect to it because you're just onto the next word, onto the next word, onto the next word. So doing exercises to slow down breathing or just to be more conscious of your speed and like check in with yourself can be very helpful when connecting with others in your story. And like, you know, it's sometimes easier to do when other people are around and in front of you. You can kind of check the room and see the room. But if you're just telling the story through me and you're not really seeing me, it it becomes a little bit harder. So I'm just saying, if you're going to be talking to people, just remember slower is better. Now, right before we get into this part of, you know, storytelling and what is a story and how to tell your story, uh, for anyone out there, this is not a trauma-informed process. So, For those of you who have trauma and this is not safe for you to do, this is not a trauma-informed process 
and you should discuss this with your therapist. And there's a lot of people who think that they're ready for this process and they're not ready for this process. So please do discuss this with your therapist beforehand if you have one or or someone, a confidant. You know, this isn't for everyone because this is not trauma-informed and this could set you back if you go through this process of trying to figure out your story too soon. So with that being said... So what is a story? And my favorite explanation of a story is a story is about how the things that happen affect someone in pursuit of a difficult goal. And in our purposes, our goal is usually escaping or breaking free from something. And how, you know, this story in this pursuit of this difficult goal, how that person changes internally as a result. And the things that happen in your story is your plot. And you are the protagonist of the story. And in our stories, we also have an antagonist as well. And every story needs a plot. But too many people make the mistake of thinking that the plot or plot points is or are the keys to the story on on their own. So if your story is just a series of events or plot points, you know, this happened and then this happened and then this happened, you know, that's not enough a lot of the times because we are looking to also hear about themes of the story and how those themes and actions in the story impact you, the protagonist of your story, for worse, for better, and all of the feelings that are, you know, cre- that create change in you, the struggles, the movement. You know, this way there is like depth and more connectedness to you. Uh, for whoever is listening to your story. And this can also be said about the 3D picture of the antagonist of your story as well, you know, understanding their motivations and everything in the story as best you can. So what we're trying to do here is we're trying to take these plot points in the plot and to do our best to add themes and framing, and we'll get to those things in a minute. You know, we're also trying to add feelings and how these things might be changing within you, how things are changing within you while this plot is going and all these things are happening, you know, and this can also be going on not just with you, but with the antagonist of your story and also the environment as well might be changing in some instances too. So for our purposes and for most stories, stories have beginnings, middles, and ends. And again, we have themes and framing that are going to be needed here as well. But again, we'll get to that very soon. We have feelings, how things might be changing within you, to you, and the antagonist of the story. And within this large story, as the plot of your story moves along, we have these plot points within the larger story. And these are mini stories within your story that will have their own beginning, middles, and ends. And they serve a purpose to move the story forward, but to also explain parts of the overall theme of your story. And occasionally, we will have stories on our show that are in the middle. They end in the middle of the story. It's incomplete. And sometimes we have these stories that end this way due to kids and and things along those lines, or they're still in the relationship. But there might be an understanding of what's happened, the, the changes that have happened to them, the changes that are going on, an acceptance of what's happened, and an understanding of all that. And a lot of the themes have been thrown in there as well. And that can be an ending too. 
also, when you watch a movie or you, or you read a book, you know, the good versions of these things have connection with you. You know, you care about the characters in those fictional worlds. You know, you care if they live or they die. So conveying a 3D picture of who you are and everyone else is, you know, that is involved in your story helps with the understanding of motivations, these intricacies, how these abuse types work, how these tactics works, how these manipulations work. And people can also connect to you and others within the story. It helps with understanding by creating this 3D picture of you and having people being able to connect with you. So when it comes to our show, we do things a little different when it comes to relationship stories and family stories, and we'll get there. But let's just first start with basics before we get to like relationships and families. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So for our purposes and what I try to do and what I help people do is to think about what your themes are. And a theme is, broadly speaking, a story's central idea or ideas, and it's a concept that underpins the narrative of the story. And this will be an incomplete list, but you know, many themes can be the attacking of my identity, just trying to survive, or using the family to abuse me, you know, threats of taking away things, taking the family away normalizing the abuse slowly, you know, setting up rules early, conforming then throughout. There are things like moving goalposts, which part is part of not being good enough. Fear of the unknown if they left or if I left. Addiction and trauma bonds can be a theme. The cycles of abuse and how you're caught in it can be a theme. Autonomy or not wanting you to be autonomous can be a theme. Uh, Gaslighting, doubt, sowing the seeds of these things. Uh, Vanity, being a trophy, the presentation in front of others and what happens behind closed doors can be a theme. Not knowing what abuse is. Thinking things will change. The promise things will change. You know, stonewalling or silent treatment can be one, especially when it comes to a push-pull story, if that's a theme. There could be a theme of, if this one thing is done, if we get through this one thing, everything will be better. And someone's always striving to get this one thing to be done, and then everything will be better. That can be a theme. Fear of failure, perfectionism, control, enmeshment, parentification, intimidation, guilt, shame, identity erosion, financial abuse, intergenerational trauma, competition, belief systems, Jekyll and Hyde, escalation points can be a theme. Not knowing who I am anymore is a theme. The frog in the boiling pot, we hear that many different times on our show. People using that as an example, that can be a theme. The victim, 
love bombing, reactive self-defense. You know, the traits of Lundy Bancroft abuser types can also be parts of the theme. So for like a Mr. Right, always having to be right or else. The demand man, you are to blame for everything unless you do these, these things my way and you'll still be blamed or else. The water torturer, getting a reaction out of you so you think you're crazy. That's a big one, you know, having them think that you are crazy. And we've already mentioned the victim and and victim playing, you know, already within those traits, sorry, within those themes earlier. And then you have a Rambo, a protector who is also physically abusive. So this brings in cognitive dissonance as a big theme, you know, the contrast between these two things and trying to figure those things out. But cognitive dissonance can also be a big theme in, in other ways as well. Then you have the drill sergeant and telling you how to do everything and what you can do. Just being watched like a hawk, living in a prison can be a theme when you think about that. Uh, Mr. Sensitive can really get into your head and make you think that you are the problem. That can be a theme. The player, you have infidelity a lot here, but you can also have, this can be about destabilization, triangulation as a theme. Always on edge on what they are doing and how you are being betrayed and how your mind is in this hypervigilant mode in that way. But hypervigilance can also be a theme for many different other types of stories, not just this one. Then you have the terrorist who's, I just mentioned hypervigilance. We can do hypervigilance can, can be a huge one here. You're always on edge. You know, you have no independence. You know, there's a huge fear of physical abuse, sexual abuse, and also using the kids against you, being very vindictive. So when it comes to these themes, you know, it's a way to kind of stay conscious of what's going on with your story. It gives your story a compass, you know, uh, per se, you know, what's important in your story. You know, this will really guide you to picking the right stories to engage people who are listening, you know, to deepen the connection, the significance and the understanding of what's going on. You know, that's what themes can do. You know, so themes can be about your struggles, struggles that are used against you, the struggles they create, emotions and feelings, the repercussions, whether they happen or not, these repercussions, you know, the mechanizations on how all these things work. So pointing out the cycles of how your abuse works and the knowledge of how it works specifically to your psychology or what the abuser has created during this process in your psychology. This can really be hammered home throughout each one of your stories and then the the tiny stories within your bigger story. And, you know, these themes for our purposes can really be used as an educational tool while really hammering home these themes for people to be validated that this is what's going on in their life. So you can really pepper it throughout your story. So now that we have our themes, let's think about what I call the first paragraph of a school essay. And we want our stories to be validating, but we also want them to be educational. So write out a first paragraph that's going to be an overview of what you're going to talk about, the themes, and how you're going to show these themes. What are the most effective stories to convey the overall story? And I think this is very, very, very important. Framing things is very important. We are trying to create clear stories for everyone to hear. 
So this framing really helps with that. We are trying to avoid stories where it just, and this happened, 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 and this happened. So when we give the overall story themes in a frame, things can really become clearer. And the plot points, you know, within the story will act as their own mini stories and frames as a way to prove your overall theme. So I like when people frame this is what you're about to hear in this mini story or in this plot point before it actually even happens. So you're going to tell people what they're about to hear before you even give them this mini story that's about to happen. Because to me, that gives people clarity. And an example of taking a plot point and then framing it as you begin could sound like this. So here we go. You are now going to hear about the first time doubt was sown in me and how this event was the first in a series of them to make me question myself to the point where I start to believe that I was not competent anymore to do anything, like even pay a bill properly. So then you would break here into the small story or the plot point telling the story of the first time doubt was being sown in you, how you felt about it, maybe how you trusted the abuser's opinion, you know, beforehand. So why would this not be true? And thus, you know, the beginning of self-gaslighting was born here. And thus, a part of me was lost at this time because that's self-gaslighting. Now I'm doing the work for them. Part of me is now lost. I don't have the same competency as I did before. That's what you're thinking. So that's taking a plot point and giving it a frame to provide insight into the theme and how you are changing. And it's probably inside a bigger frame of identity erosion as a bigger theme of the story, but it is this mini frame of this bigger frame. So, so that's the first paragraph and, and framing and how important that can be to telling a very effective story. When you're able to frame something, people know what they're going to hear and it gives them an idea of what they're about to be listening to. And that gives people more clarity. So even if they might lose track a little tiny bit, they still can stay on track because they know the overall thing of what you're about to be talking about. Next up, we have the structure of your story. And this will be very tricky for many people. Very few people are natural storytellers and not everyone, you know, has a story that fits a paint by numbers structure. You know, for the purposes of the show, I try to fit people into one because it's easier for me, but it's not always the case. But for the show, what I do, and you don't, this is not something that you have to do when you're speaking to other people. Uh, at all or telling your story in communication with, you know, a lawyer or whatever, you know, you, you'll, you'll know what parts that are important. But for the purposes of our show, you know, for our relationship stories, we use five parts. And part one is your life, a 3D picture of who you are, your beliefs, traits, healthy, unhealthy, admirable traits, as well, you know, where you came from, you know, what your, your family was like, what your parents were like, a real big 3D picture of who you were. And then part two, we have the meeting of the abuser, a real big 3D picture of who they are, 
who they want to be seen as, who they really are. And we, we discuss who they really are in hindsight when we do that. And then we also usually discuss hindsight in red flags when, when doing stories on the show. But, you know, obviously when you're talking to a professional or support, you don't have to do it in our format. But for, for our show, this is how we do it. And part three, we have the devaluation and, and abuse stage. And usually we do this with framing of mini sections already, tactics and abuse and feelings and even aha moments. Self-discovery moments are thrown in there and it's all in a chronological order. And then part four, we have the beginning of the end and the end, post-separation, abuse, stalking, court, custody, etc. And then part five, where, you know, how you're doing now and, and words of wisdom. So going back to part three here, this being the trickiest for everyone, and usually if you're talking to a professional or support, this is usually what you're gonna, really going to be focusing on, which is part three, the, the, the abuse that, that was happening to you. And... This is just a tricky thing because some people have so many stories, they don't know where to even begin. So when it comes to part three, when it is the structure of this story, this is where plot points in the mini stories might become a little bit bigger and, you know, how to place them. What are the plot points to use? And we're going to give you three ways to discover those plot points, but there could be a myriad of different ways to discover what your plot points are, but we're just going to give you, you know, two of the most popular and one recent one that I heard. So one way to structure your story is by escalation points as your plot points. Stories with easy-to-spot escalation points are the easier stories to tell. However, not every story has these definite points. So an example of an escalation point story, you know, it would be like the first escalation point was once we moved in together, abuse began, control began. You know, point two here on the escalation, you know, is once we got married, things got worse. And it was harder to leave at this point because maybe you just got married you didn't want to be embarrassed, fear of failure. Maybe you had belief systems about marriage and not getting divorced, you know, so now you're kind of stuck in it and it's harder to leave at this point. Uh, abuse is increasing at this point and this is escalation point two. Then escalation point three as a mini part of the story. Once we had a child or child one, at this point, you know, someone might be a stay-at-home mom now. You know, there's a child there. It's harder to leave, even if they're a parent that is going out to work. You don't want to leave this child. A child is now involved. The abuse is starting to, to ramp up. Havoc is being wreaked on my life. If I leave, you know, what do I do? There's financial things that are now going on. You know, a child could be a weapon. That's an escalation point. Then the second child could come along. A further escalation point. At this point, all gloves could be off with the abuser. There are barely, barely any reconciliations maybe in the cycles of abuse. You're just trying to survive. You know, these are very common escalation points that we hear on the show. And in between these escalation points or within them, people discuss their feelings, their themes, aha moments, and, and, and tactics. And another example of escalation points can also be considered manipulation points. And it can be a story where it's done through, you know, manipulation points, boundaries, and, and control. And this is 
often involves isolation in a very coercive control pattern. So escalation manipulation point one can be first painting themselves as a victim. You know, they say how they were wrong, so you know what not to do to them. You know, having you conform to them as this victim and caretaking that victim. And then escalation point two would be the process of becoming the truth teller in your world. So they would, you know, probably butter you up in the love bombing stage, the confidence of everything that's going on. They make you, you know, feel that you're great. They make you feel good about you. So you trust them and trust their opinion. Then escalation manipulation point three could be to isolate you. And, you know, tell stories how this happened, how this isolation happened. Then the next escalation or manipulation point can be all of the different tactics used for them to gain more power and control. So a point four could be now you're being watched like a hawk about your whereabouts. Point five, now you're being accused of cheating. You know, point six can be now I don't want to deal with, you know, telling them my whereabouts all the time. So now I stay in, I conform. That can be a point six. I do the work work for them out of fear. You know, I know how others hurt them before. I don't want to do that. It's easier for me to stay home and conform. You know, here you can also just start discussing identity erosion as part of your themes, if that is one of them. Then you go to point seven. Point seven, you can now be, well, now I'm in a prison. You know, they are the center of the world, whether they are around or not. Everything needs to be perfect inside the home or there will be a blow up and, you know, intimidations, throwing things, huge tantrums might be happening here. You know, moving goalposts, never being good enough. You know, you become a shadow of yourself. These themes can start ramping up in this section right here. Point eight. You one day have enough courage to say something and they put a huge fear into you by a rage or even a physical abuse. And that makes you not want to do that again. Point nine, you might start looking these things up on the internet. You know something's wrong. It's an aha moment. It's an escalation point. And it is maybe not a manipulation point, but it is a needed point. You know, you're gaining knowledge. You know, that is a meaningful thing for people to, to hear. You know, it, it validates what other people are going through. And then point 10, you could have, you know, things might get smoothed over and things are okay for a while. You can bring up the cycles of abuse and how this is working. You know, point 11, things ramp back up again after, you know, the calm is done. And now, you know, you must leave, you know, and you're trying to then figure out your escape plan. Or this could go on, you know, it takes seven times on average to leave your abuser. This can happen seven different times where you get to this point where you figure out that you need to make this escape plan. And I can probably map out way more points, but as you can see, each point here has its own point or story, you know, with a beginning, middle and end. And it's just part of a bigger story. And within them, you can talk about your feelings, your themes, tactics, et cetera, everything that you, that you think is, is needed in those parts. So these are just two different types of stories we hear on the show that have these really distinct escalation points or, mani- or manipulation, like tactic points where each lead into the next. And one is done through 
each level of being more and more trapped. You know, the other was done as being used as stages of coercive control and the course of control tactics are used to push you further into losing yourself, making it more difficult to leave. And another one, someone I just spoke to will be telling their story using plot points based on the different places they moved, each place. And that story is based on you know, a resetting of things in confusion, hoping once we get here, better things will start to happen once we get settled, once we get past this troubling time, once my partner gets past all the stress that is happening in their life. And each place is just a new beginning and new types of abuses. It's confusing and it keeps them in the relationship much longer. Each place represents a whole entire new abuse cycle and all the feelings and abuse tactics going on within that cycle. And every time they move, this is what is getting the story to move forward. These are the plot points moving the story forward as the abuse victim is slowly figuring things out as they're getting more depressed and figuring out that there is no hope here. They really start to get hip to the cycle that they're in, that moving to these places are these mini cycles that are happening within a bigger cycle. So what you're hearing in in this type of story with these plot points is that, you know, you're getting these mini versions of cycles telling the story of how difficult it is to figure out that you are in a giant cycle of abuse due to all of the shifts and changes. And these are just a few plot point examples for structures to use. And there are a myriad of these things. These are just three that I mentioned, you know, two of the most common ones and, and one that I heard recently. However, not everybody's story is the same and can be done in the same way. And that's okay. You know, other ways to tell your story can be done from the pure educational view or as I like to call it, the textbook formula. And these stories are usually not done chronologically until the end, until like part four, the beginning of the end and the end. And it's very difficult to tell your story, you know, knowing where to begin and where to end. And as I stated before, we just want to tell clear stories. So maybe for you, the best way to tell your story is tactic by tactic or abuse by abuse. So this is where I tell you to get your you know, power and control wheel out and start writing down all the abuse tactics that pertain to your story. And once you get all those tactic, tactics down, start writing out a few of the bigger stories involving those tactics. And from there, each one of those stories, write out how it made you feel and what did the abuser accomplish with that tactic? How did you change? What was happening internally with you? Was the tactic used in different ways to accomplish different things? things at different times? If so, maybe those are the things that you share. If you have more than, you know, one story for a specific tactic. So, you know, by doing it this way, it takes the pressure off of doing things chronologically. You don't need to start at the beginning because many people say they don't know where to start. However, and a big however, I will say this about doing it this way. 
you can still hammer home your themes and be able to frame everything before you begin. And for example, by saying all the tactics you are about to hear are about why it was so difficult for me to leave. One, because the abuse I endured for the most part was very subtle, specifically at the beginning. So when it got deeper, I didn't know it was abuse, but also because everyone else seemed to like them. And they made me think it was me that was the problem. So that's your kind of your, your theme and, and your thesis. And, and now just tell the tactics. And you don't have to do it chronologically. Just use the tactics as your guide. So sometimes people get uh, so into their timeline, they can go back and forth and forget things and backtrack and go forward. And this is when clarity really becomes a problem. So think of what is the best way for you to tell your story. So up next, we have family stories. And in here, you might hear a lot of themes, framing ideas uh, that you'll be able to transfer possibly also to relationship stories as well. And when it comes to family stories, you know, the show really doesn't have any set way of how we do them. But Writing out your themes and the opening paragraph and the framing, you know, will, just like in the relationship stories, help out a lot. And sometimes people structure these family stories based on age, early childhood section, tween, teen, adult. We hear that a lot on the show or elementary school, junior high, high school, college, adult or work life. You know, most family stories we do start off with explanations of who the parents are, how they were raised, what the parents' relationship was like, how the parents wanted to be seen by society and others, and then who they really are. You know, give a 3D picture of who your parents are and who you were dealing with. Uh, then after that, what we try to do is we try to establish you know, how does the family work? What is valued? What isn't valued? How do you try to fit into that value system or how you are excluded from ever fitting into that system? Or is it a combination of both? We hear many stories of families valuing achievements. So we have kids trying to achieve to gain that value. Others do it by people-pleasing and bending over backwards with chores and reliability. Some do it with gossip. You know, the family value system is one of the many ways in which people can gain unhealthy traits that will hinder them throughout life, you know, but, but they're doing it at the time to, to survive. You know, you, you're playing within that system. You know, these are, these are tools that you are using to survive. And for many, these tools most likely don't serve you anymore as an adult, you know, once you remove yourself from the, the twilight zone of your family. But at the time, these things, even you know, being unhealthy possibly of what you were doing, they were survival mechanisms and surviving is a big thing, you know, with abusive families, you know, you're just trying to survive as best you can. So think of survival, you know, try and think of all the different ways and things you did to survive. You know, what are the stories for those different things? And how do any of those things linger into the future as you get older? Do they change? Are you changing? Do you have new survival techniques? And how are these things then affecting your life as you become older? And then are you stuck in these same patterns with your family while you're older? So think of those things 
uh, you know, when you're trying to think of the family story. And this is also an interesting thing to think of when you're doing relationship stories as well. And, you know, I mentioned the Twilight Zone. And I've done that in a lot of episodes. And that's because in all of these families, your parents are automatically the truth tellers in this world. The people you are seeking love from, acceptance from, nurturing, guidance, you know, and you don't want to feel like you're an extension of them and you want them to be this positive person or people in your life that are promoting your autonomy, but that's not the case. So many stories will have the elements of living within a cult-like environment and then figuring out what's real, uh, what's not real. You know, it's the slow figuring out that your family doesn't work like other families and that what is going on inside your household isn't right. So a lot of aha moments are going on here. You know, there's a lot of aha moments. There's a change going on. You realizing, you know, what you thought was real isn't really real. And then when it comes to your needs that I mentioned, not getting these things that you need from these parents. You're not getting this love. You're not getting acceptance, nurturing, or this guidance, and you're not being allowed to be autonomous. And these can all be things you don't have from your family. And these can be things that you then start to seek out in other parts of your life. And this can be parts of your story. This could be parts of the theme of your story as well. The seeking for these things. This is a really interesting way of figuring out how to tell your story when it comes to family stories. This isn't for everyone, but for a lot of people, this could be your, your story. And this could also be helpful for people in relationship stories as the seeking of these things you never had could be what the abuser is at first saying they are giving you, but then they're most likely then taking it away from you. So I, at this point, I won't go further on family stories as far as what certain themes can be. I will give an example of one story in a second, but you know, every family story is vastly different from the other and the structures will be very individualized and you know how you're going to tell them will be very individualized and you know an old family episode that we once did with a survivor named Dasha and I think this was in August September of 2021 you know after listening for about two hours of her story I stopped her and I said that we have to redo this whole entire thing And there was just no structure. And, you know, it was just kind of story, 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 story. There were no themes or anything like that. So, you know, while listening, I got an idea of what was going on or visually I started to kind of see things. And her family started to really sound like a mafia. And I could only think of a mafia structure. So in my mind, everyone had a rank. So that's where we started. You know, everyone had the rank and role within this mafia structure. So we explained each figure and then where she sat in that structure. And then from there, we figured out the family values. And then we figured out it was really a story of all of the different elements of discovering what was wrong with the family and 
and gaining the strength to break free. And I'm sure a lot of people might resonate with that. So what we did was each section was either about abuses or coercive control that was endured, or it was about a new step in understanding of what was going on, or it was a building block to break free, or, and this is another or, and I'm sorry with all of the ors, it was a step backwards, which might have felt like a step backwards, but it was really gaining resiliency that she could do things on her own if a failure happened, which then gave her more strength to move forward once she moved beyond that. You know, she had her own autonomy and she was doing things. So those are like the four kind of elements of the different mini stories that we had that created the overall big picture. And that was just one way to figure out how to do a family story. So before we go today, I've been saying, write it out, write it out, write it out, write it out. And writing it out for a lot of people is not a possibility. And it's not something that they're going to be able to do. So in my opinion, if you're not going to be able to write it out, and that's just really too difficult, the best way of compiling all of this is to record yourself. And before I even get to this recording yourself part, you know, This is where meeting people where they are is difficult when it comes to this process because some people aren't ready for this. But in a perfect world, everyone knows how the mechanizations of themselves work. They know why if someone does X, they will respond with Y. But not everyone can do that. But today I'm going to kind of challenge you to try to, to do that and to dig deep on this. And I say that this, again, as I stated before, this is not a trauma-informed approach at all. So please do not do this without consulting a professional or do it without the care of others in the aftermath. You know, some people feel that they're ready, but they might not actually be ready. So, you know, with that being said, as a whole, I say record yourself telling everything Being in chronological order helps, but it doesn't have to be in any order. You know, just barf it all out into some sort of recording device and hopefully on the internet, do it on the internet. Try not to do it on one of those recorders. There's too many processes or steps involved and then getting it onto your computer. So try and find an online recording device. And, you know, after you kind of get it out, if it's not in any order, you can assemble it after. And after you're done doing that recording... You know, find a transcriber online and transcribe it. So it's all in a document form. Everything you said is now kind of then separated you. You know, once it's out of your head and onto paper or on a digital like uh, file, you know, it gives you the element of being pulled out of it and being able to see it from a different position than you did before. You can observe it more by going over it all. You know, it's a different way of viewing things once it's out of your head. You get a little bit more clarity by looking at it and being able to analyze it in that way and and really take notes. So, you know, once you have the transcription, you know, take out a pen or on your computer and, and, and take notes. So when it comes to something like a relationship story, you might read a part where you said out loud, you know, the abuser said all their exes never did this for me and that they are all horrible. And then you might be able to connect that, that you started to do things for 
your abuser because, you know, the exes didn't do it and that they, they might have painted themselves as a victim. And, you know, you're someone who um, thinks that they deserve better. So you started to do things for them. And you might write in your notes here after reading a little section like that, my abuser is tapping into my empathy. You know, it's an admirable trait that I have of bending over backwards for people, which made me feel, you know, less guilt about something um, or they did a very good job of making me feel guilty for them. And that hit me here. And then I did this for them. And maybe you can start pulling it back further. Maybe they created this, but this might also be something in you that happened in childhood. This might have been something that happened, you know, where you felt less guilt by doing something for someone, or it made you feel happy in childhood that you did something like that, bending over backwards for someone. Or maybe you were parentified and you didn't want your parents to be upset because if they got upset, you knew if you didn't do that thing, they they would rage. So even though you know that your partner might not rage, you still have that feeling inside you that that is a possibility. And you're told that you were bad if you didn't do that thing. So you're kind of connecting those dots and kind of creating a trail so you can really understand yourself better. You can understand the psychology behind everything that is going on and you can really start to see it when it is on paper and you can make notes about you know your thoughts or your story that's much more difficult when it's just stuck in your head so the more you can do that you know you can really use this document to really understand how these dynamics are working how these tactics can work and how you feel about them and where these things might have been created either within the relationship or somewhere even before that, that really taps into your psychology. And you can make notes on every little thing you can in your story to understand your psychology. This helps you create, you know, your themes. This helps create your opening paragraphs. You can really see your themes and your structure and, you know, your framing. The more you start doing notes on your own story, you know, from this bird's eye view that you didn't have before, if you were having trouble before. And, you know, even after you're doing that, for the people that don't know how to do it chronologically, you can now start picking the parts cutting them out, copying and pasting and placing them in a timeline if that helps you as well. And for people that don't want to do the whole entire story, start off small. Just do a test on one mini story at a time and do notes on them. So it's not daunting. You don't have to do it all at once. Just figure it out and be like, oh, that felt good. I see that. I see how this works. And then you can, you know, step by step and go from there. So, you know, it's, in my opinion, just easier to see things when you're just slightly removed from it. So just getting it out of your head onto paper or in the digital format to see things with a different angle just can be very, very, very useful. And again, I I cannot stress enough that all of this is not a trauma-informed approach. So please do consult a professional before taking part in any of this. And I really hope you found this episode helpful. If it wasn't confusing, I hope I didn't confuse you more. But, you know, for the purposes of the show and and communicating with other people, you know, I want everyone to be able to be as clear as possible. I don't want anything to get in your way of getting help. 
and wasting money on lawyers because you're you know conveying a story that's going on way too long in all these places where you can be very concise and get things out because you know lawyers charge a lot of money and you know the more we can be clear with our stories overall hopefully the better it'll help you in getting through this and getting the help that you need so i hope you found this episode uh helpful and if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes with all of the information that I just told you, you know, you can go to NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. When you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. And as well, people out there need support. So if you need support, come to our support group at NarcissistApocalypse.com. And top of the page, there's a button that says support group. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And there you'll find that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need from survivors just like you. You can make great friends on there as well. So if you need support, join our group today. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. At DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you're dealing with. They have every phone number and email address and web address for shelters and agencies. No matter how big or small the town you are in, DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource and organization. So if you need extra support, go to DomesticShelters.org today. And we have another friend of the show called Shelter Movers, and Shelter Movers can be found at sheltermovers.com, and Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life. It is a volunteer organization, a donor-supported organization, charitable organization as well, currently only in Canada, but looking to expand into the United States, and what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence and course of control. They get all of your things out of your home and into storage, all of your belongings into storage, and they can do this for your pets and livestock too. It is a wonderful organization. And if you just need help from them or you just want to donate to them, go to sheltermovers.com. And that is it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you have a good night.